We're going to move on into the sermon for today. All right, 10.30. We have exactly um, uh, 45 minutes to do this. Yeah, okay. Um, I want to share with you our, a continuation from our study in the book of Ezekiel, looking at end times, Ezekiel, and where, we, where have we been? You know, in the last four weeks, right, we looked at the watchmen of Israel, how God calls Ezekiel to give a word. And when, you, when I speak to you, you speak. Whatever I didn't speak to you, don't tokok tambah. Don't add this extra biblical prophecy that is not for you to say. But when I do speak, speak. Okay? Then he tells the shepherds of Israel. He turns from Ezekiel to the shepherds of Israel. And then, mara mara, right? Because why? The shepherds have neglected the sheep. And from that week, we learn God's heart for the sheep, how much He longs to gather them and put them onto a pasture land where they will thrive, where they will grow, where they will lay down uh, um, deep roots, you know, uh, um, to, to feel safe in the land and that they can rest, right? We, 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 we went through all that. And then, then it's like He turns His face back against the enemies of God, right? And then He says, to the to to Edom, right? That why why you attack God? Why you attack my people? Why did you laugh and mock my people when 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 they were when they were punished? You know when when, when they were brought to, to Babylon, and then God speaks over them. God speaks over them that his destiny for those who curse the people of God, you know, is that he will not tolerate it. And what's underneath this? Two things. One is that he's greatly protective of his flock. He is so protective of his flock. But the but a really important thing for us all to remember as a lesson from Edom is if you've got things going on deep in the past, you know, issues, unhappiness, you know, and all that, settle all of that. Don't become like Edom, you know, who harbored this grudge against his brother, right? Jacob, which is Israel. And that's the story of end times Ezekiel for, for now. Why is it an end times angle? Because these are the issues that's going to be boiling underneath us from resurrection to revelation, right? From the time of Jesus' first coming to the time of Jesus' second coming, all of these issues are being stirred up, you know, our shepherding, our watching, our and engagement with uh, uh, people who may oppose the name of Jesus. Now, in the midst of all that, God gives a promise. He cuts a covenant with his people. Now, again, this is talking to Jews in Babylon 600 years, some 6580 plus years, okay, before Jesus comes. They are they are like a refugee community. So this is not like in the temple in Jerusalem. This is speaking to people, you know, who are lost from their homes. They are, they are, they are being resettled into a foreign country and they have no place to call home, right? And now, now with that in mind, let's jump into the text, okay? Let's, let's look. Let's look. Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, for but for the sake of my holy name. This is interesting. I'm just going to let you sit in this for a little while and just grasp this idea. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. Okay? 
for my name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. In other words, when God punished Israel for their idolatry and for their bloodshed and for their injustice, and he kicked them out of their land. This was back when, when, when they, he kicked them out of Babylon. Every place where God's people went, they profane his name because why people look at them and say, what kind of check guy God you have? What kind of lousy God you have that you that you are so unprotected? You are so, what kind of, like basically it made God look bad. And here's the interesting thing, right? God will put his own reputation on the line, okay? Because one day he will vindicate it for himself, okay? So he's not worried about his optics. Right? It's something that we really have to, because I can tell you as humans, you know, we are so worried about our own optics, right? Whether it is your own personal brand or whether it is church, you know, like we are sometimes so concerned, but God seems to be utterly unconcerned about the optics for his name in a in a in, in at least in the short term because he's prepared to punish his people send them out to be a diaspora everywhere you know and then he says that everywhere you go people laugh at me they say that this uh, this is the same yahweh this is the same god who drove uh, 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 the egyptians uh, uh, into the sea and drowned them is it this is the same god takkan same god and then they mock and laugh at the god of israel that's why he keeps saying then they will know it was yahweh when he every time he does something great he will say then they will recognize it's the same god yahweh did it right so 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 here's one thing for us to know that god isn't like 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 fixated about short-term optics because he will vindicate his name i will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them next slide right and the nations will know i am yahweh you see declares the lord god when through you i vindicate my holiness before their eyes i will take you from the nations gather you right so the reversal now i will gather you from all the countries bring you to your own land i will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols i will cleanse you now this whole thing about god vindicating his own name like i could only tell you like one minute's worth, you know, of, of exegesis on God vindicating his name. Okay, today's sermon, I'm going to focus on God giving Israel a new heart. That's where the focus of today's sermon is. Okay, so because I can't deep dive with you into this whole thing about God vindicating his name for his name's sake, I want to give you a reference and point you to a sermon. Okay, um, it's a 2012 sermon uh, by a pastor called Matt Chandler. He pastors his church in America, in Texas, called The Village Church. And this sermon was really shaping for me okay uh, the first time i heard it, it was like it was like maybe about 20 like 14 15 around then and it was really shaping for me okay and it, the sermon is entitled god is for god go check it out you know and because when you hear this now he talks really fast and and, and uh, so you might just you know don't worry you just listen through the whole thing you'll catch it one you know um so so hang in there uh with him you can click on the link it's in the zoom chat and you can just pause it and leave it park it on the side you know and catch up on it later but really really uh really shaping for me uh, um thinking about how god establishes the righteousness of his own name through us, right now let's move on to the rest of it now the heart of today's text i will give you a new heart 
right? We sang just now, purify my heart, right? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Let's continue on to the next slide. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. So God is committed. He will see this project through, right? I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. See, so he changes your heart and then the land becomes uh, fruitful again. We saw that, right? When we talked about the pasture land, right? He changes your heart. He gives you a new heart. And then the land, when the relationship between God and man is healed, Healed, the land becomes fruitful. We see it again here, right? No famine shall come upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways. Now, now just pay attention to verse 31. It's quite interesting. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. Okay? You, in other words, you will inspect your own sinful nature. You will inspect and look at that and you will loathe yourself. Oh my word, what? what? I thought today is uh, everything is hashtag self-love, right? Okay, and he says here, no, you will look at your sin and you will hate that sin, not just that sin, but you will hate the version of you that, 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 that acted that way, right? Um, for your iniquities and for your abominations. So I'm just going to wrap this section up, okay, to give you, show you, like, in summary, the remainder of chapter 36 looks like this. I don't expect you to read the next slide, but I'm giving you the dot points just to show you that you can check it out, okay? God says one more time, I'm going to vindicate my name for my own sake, right? He says, one more time, I'm going to cleanse my flock. One more time, he says, the land will be inhabited again. I'm going to bring all of you all back in again. One more time, he says, I will increase your flock, you will become numerous. People will walk on the streets of your city again. Then the surrounding nations will know that this was Yahweh's work. So it starts with the vindication of his name. It ends with the vindication of his name. But right at the heart of it is the new heart that he's going to give to his people. And that's where we want to go into. Okay, so three things I want to share with you about God giving us a new heart and a new spirit. Number one, that he's going to, that we are changed from stone to flesh. Okay, is a transformation from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Number two, the change happens from deep inside us. Doesn't happen from outsiders. It's not some rules. It's not new SOPs. A change happens from insiders. And this change is going to happen over a course of time. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to fulfill and to see and to slowly perfect this transformation process. Change happens from stone to flesh, from deep inside, and over time. Let's get into the first one. We are changed from stone to flesh. What does it say here, right? Ezekiel 36, and I will give you a new spirit, a new heart, 
and a new spirit I will put within you. Heart and spirit always come together, right? And it's not as if I've got a new heart. Oh, but pastor, my spirit is still very, I still have a really nasty spirit, you know, but God has given me a new heart. But I have a nasty, it doesn't work that way, okay? So maybe our Greek thinking, we like to, to separate everything and say, that, oh, there's a new heart, is one thing. There's a new spirit, it's a separate. No, it's not two different things. The new heart and the new spirit come together there is a newness a wholeness that god gives to you and so when you have a new heart you have a new spirit they come together it is two sides of the same thing okay so he says i give you a new heart and a new spirit i put inside you and then listen to the wording so Bula church i know you're very very um y'all like to look at words one okay um so look at the wording I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Don't worry about the next part yet. That's why I colored it differently. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh. You can see the picture? It's not saying that I will, re I will remove your heart of stone. Or it's not as if you have a heart of stone inside more stone. It's not that you are made of stone. We are all made of flesh. And when it says flesh here, it means we are mortal, we are human, we get hurt, we feel wounded, we have feelings, we are brittle sometimes inside, you know. But there is something not right. We are people of flesh, but we have a heart of stone. That's why he says, I will remove your heart of stone from the flesh. In other words, there was something in us before we came to Christ that is misaligned. Yes, are we vulnerable like any other human? Yes, all of us are vulnerable like any other human. But in the midst of all that vulnerability, there is a stony part inside of us. And when it says heart or stone, it's talking about a heart that is unyielding. Because you can't make, you, you pr try to press a stone, it, there's no gift. It's not like, it's not like um, a heart or flesh. It's like, like you know, you, you, if you're marinating your steak, you know, and you like tekan the steak, you know, it it goes in, right? And then some is more firm and is okay. And sometimes it's like, and it's like, cannot eat anymore, you know? And and if you squeeze something that is fleshy, it gives, there is gift. When you squeeze a stone, there is no gift. It is unyielding. God cannot mold this heart of stone. You cannot, you cannot participate with God to be molded when you have a heart of stone. That's why he says that there is a huge disconnect inside every one of us. Because inside your flesh, all of us, vulnerable, yes. Weak sometimes, yes. Got feelings, yes. But you have a heart of stone. You're stubborn. You refuse to yield to me. You push back, push back, langa back with God and all that. That's why he says, I will take that out and I will give you a heart of flesh. So this new heart will be a heart that can be molded. This new heart is a heart that he can shape. And this heart is a heart that can feel. It can love, but it can feel pain. It will be wounded again, you know. And sometimes church, sometimes, of course, all these are metaphors. All these are metaphors. Sometimes we stonify our heart. We harden our hearts as a means to protect ourselves as armor against being hurt in the past by others. But God says today, no, I'm going to take that heart of stone out and I'm going to take all the armor off it and I'm going to return to you a beating 
heart that feels, that loves, that is prepared to come before me and be vulnerable. Heart of flesh. It's a good heart to have a heart of flesh. Now, one thing I want to say about the using of this word flesh, okay? Now, if you read your New Testament, sometimes you might hear the word flesh being used as a negative thing, as a bad thing. And maybe if you read Romans, you will see this word flesh, you know? Uh, um, anyone, uh, uh, if, you, if you live by the flesh, you will die, you know? Uh, um, but if you live by the Spirit, you will live, you know, that kind of thing, okay? So, so just... Again, so I below, I know you all like to see these things, on, you know, so, so take a look at this, okay? Now, the Hebrew word for flesh that is used in Ezekiel, okay, is used in a very different way from the way the Greek word that is translated into flesh is used in a lot of the New Testament, okay? Uh, the Hebrew word that we are working with today is basar, okay? And it means human body. And it refers to the skin, the fat, the lean meat in others. In other words, it's talking about real dugging, okay? About real dugging, okay? Um, does it also have a range of meaning to mean hu the hu human nature? Yes, but in this case, it's talking about a fleshly, fleshy heart. Okay, not biological in the truest sense, but it's a metaphor for flesh. Okay, um, um, now when we use, now if you look at Romans 8, for example, you will see the word flesh being used um, to, in reference to the carnal and sensuous nature of men. It will, it's used in the New Testament quite often to refer to our sinful desires, the nature of us that yields towards sin. Very different usage, totally two different words, but the Hebrew word basar, you know, is approximated to the English word flesh. In a different context, the Greek word sarx is also approximated to the English word flesh. And then for us reading NIV, reading ESV, reading, you know, NKJV, we're like, eh, eh. you know, here is it's supposed to be a good thing to have a heart of flesh. There is a it's sounds like it's a bad thing, you know? So I want you all to be able to distinguish the two. And later, I will share with you a text from Romans 8 and where the word flesh occurs, I've replaced it to in brackets, square brackets, sinful nature, okay? I'm not trying to change the text. I'm just helping you to not be confused between the two, okay? All right, let's move to, to let's look at the text right now. For this heart of flesh, what is this heart of flesh? I shared with you all just now that it's a heart that can hurt, that can has feelings, right? God feeling right okay now psalm 51 is a beautiful place to look at in tandem right uh with with ezekiel 36 because david in sinning david king david in sinning with bathsheba in sinning against uriah bathsheba's husband you know if you don't have a church background this is a king of israel who who took another man's wife slept with her impregnated her and then all arranged for her husband um, to be killed on the battlefield just to cover up like a huge cover up for this sex scandal right um and then he's found out and then he's like oh my goodness and then you know when he's found out he goes before god and he says this create in me a clean heart O god and renew a right spirit within me you see clean heart right spirit it's not like clean heart and then right spirit is like a different thing they come together okay create in me a clean heart oh god purify my heart let me be as gold right right change me from within we we'll look at that change me from within right it's the second point 
But here you see, create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit because my spirit was wrong and my heart was, 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 was filthy. Lord, change that inside me. And then he goes on to say a bunch of things. And you know how he closes this little section? He says, the sacrifices of God, you know, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it and I would be justified by it. But no, you will not be pleased by with a burnt offering. In other words, it's not my sacrifices that justifies me before you. So what justifies me before you? What, what makes me presentable before you? After I slept with a woman and got her husband killed as a huge cover-up and now I'm exposed and I see, now this is exactly you saw just now, right? Verse 31, you will look upon your sinful acts and loathe yourself. And this is David looking upon his own sinful self and loathing it like, God, God, if I could do other things, pay money, if I could serve in church, if I could do more things, and if it would please you, I would do it. But I know none of that would please you. So what would please you? A shattered heart and a shattered spirit. Those things would please you. Wow. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. In other words, God is looking for our hearts to be, to be breakable. It's not that he wants our hearts to break. It's just that when we look at the nature of sin, we must be able to break. Because when you have a heart of stone and you see these things, it's like, so what? So what? Every man for himself must, so what? Right? And then God cannot use you. And God says in a different place that if you can't have your heart break over these things, I'll spit you out. I can't. I can't have you because you, are, you, you cannot be molded. You're stiff-necked and self-serving, self-righteous people. He can't use a people like that. One of my... I recently heard a pastor share uh, this verse. He said... Uh, it's not a verse. It's, it, it's something he said. He said, God uses bad and weak people because there is no other kind of people for him to use. Somebody type that into the Zoom chat. I didn't prepare a slide for this. God uses bad and weak people because there is no other type of people for him to use. Church, but you can be that kind of person and have a heart of stone and fight and tongue him back. Or you can be that kind of person and say, God, please take my heart. Please take my heart and, and renew my heart. Renew a right spirit. You know, I hope that this heart can break. I'd rather this whole heart shatter. And when it shatters before you, I can come and say, God, give me a new heart. That's what he wants. Not because he enjoys to see you suffer. He doesn't. But sometimes when we are in that state, he would rather our hearts break and we be broken, contrite, crushed and shattered in our spirit. Then he can say, I can use. Then he can say, I can reshape you. I can remold you. I can do something from deep within you. I can draw something out. You know, if you're old enough, um, you will know a song by Elvis Presley called Wooden Heart, right? Right? How many of you you know wouldn't hide, right? Some of you don't know don't don't know Elvis, right? And I love the the last verse of, of, of Wooden Heart. He says, Treat me nice, treat me good, treat me like you really should. Cause I'm not made of wood and I don't have a wooden heart. 
right? Amen? We don't have wooden hearts. He's given us a heart of flesh. So church, yield to him. If there is a give, let us yield to him. Have that gift for him. Amen? Amen? So that when he shapes us, when he molds us, we respond. Amen? First point, there is a change from stone heart to flesh heart. Second point, the change happens from inside of us. God's doing a work from inside of us. Let me show you. Let me show you. Um, uh, there, is a, there is a parallel text to Ezekiel 36. And that's in Jeremiah 31. I love this, church. I love this. When you look at Jeremiah 31, you're like, wow, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31. And you're like next door neighbors. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like Ling House. You know, like they are the same, same pattern, but, but inverted, you know, uh, from each other. You know, I, I love it. Now, let me read to you Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Declares Yahweh, right? When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. By the way, Jeremiah and Ezekiel are contemporaries. Around the same time that Jeremiah was prophesying in Jerusalem, saying, guys, judgment has come. Don't fight it. Go to Babylon. When they come and take you, go. Don't fight it. Don't stay. If you stay, you die, right? But God told him to stay, to continue telling the people, right? To to yield to God's judgment. Meanwhile, Ezekiel is part of the people who went. So Ezekiel is prophesying uh, to the people in Babylon. Jeremiah is at around the same time prophesying to the people in the land, just before the, the captivity and also even after. So it's around the same time these two things are being said and they are very similar things. He says, this covenant it's not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. In other words, I'm making a new covenant. I'm cutting a new promise with you and then it's a better promise. It is a greater promise. It is a promise that is closer and closer to the greatest promise ever, which we know is Jesus on the cross, right? And he's taking you, he's taking the, his people from one layer of definition to a higher death, to a higher death, to a higher death and they need to go on this journey. They can't have high def, 4K, whatever, 8K, you know, from back then, right? We didn't have 8K TV, right, in 1960 when, when there was Elvis Presley in this world, right? We didn't have that. We had like black and white grainy TV and if you had like an 18-inch TV, you had the biggest TV in town, right? And then we progressed from that to 21, 28-inch TV and then we went from that, oh man, when we started the broadcast in digital, it's like, it's like, totally change, you know? Same thing for God with His covenants with His people. He's taking them from one level of low death to a higher death to a higher death level of covenant with His people. And so He is giving His people this covenant. The covenant I'm giving you is not like the one that is black and white TV, you know? It's not like the one that was. I'm going to read this, okay? My covenant that they broke. Through, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. This is not like that covenant. So what is it? Verse 33. For this is the covenant that will, I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. You see that? You see that? He's going to take a heart of stone. Ezekiel says, I'm going to take a heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. Jeremiah says, 
No longer laws written on stone tablets. Now laws written on flesh hearts. You see, the, you see the parallel between the two? And I will be their God, covenant language. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Look at this. Look at this on the next slide. There is a huge difference between a law written on stone tablets and a law written on your heart. Jeremiah says that I'm going to take this take you into a new covenant and this new covenant is not like the old one. What was the old covenant? Laws outside, externally motivating you to change your behaviors so that you avoid punishment. That's what it means to follow a law written on stone. Stone tablets with the Ten Commandments. It's external from you. It's outside from you. Somebody outside told you that you are supposed to do this. You ought to feel this way. You ought to do this thing. You must do this thing. If you don't do this thing, it's jail term. If you don't do this thing, it's fine. If you don't do this thing, you die. Right? So I scared, ma. Right? Takan, you see all these laws and you're like, oh, don't care. You know what? $10,000 fine. I'm still going to go out and jalan-jalan, you know, during, during lockdown. No ma, if you don't go out jalan-jalan, I think for some of us, it's because we scared kena fine. It's not we scared kena COVID. Of course, some of us scared kena COVID lah. But some of us is, is scared kena caught. If I can tell you 100% no police, you will churi churi go. Right? Why? Because laws written on stone tablets are outside of us. And those laws don't change us. They just augment our behaviours. And the moment we can find a loophole, we will go back to all those old jalan, right? We will, you know, because we are externally motivated mostly by the fear of punishment. And that, what does that make us into? It makes us all the more creative to avoid punishment. It makes us all the more pandai to find ways to cheat and beat the system. That doesn't change us. A law written on stone tablets doesn't transform us. It just manages our behaviors at best. And at worst, it just, it just stimulates us to become more clever in being evil. Yeah, don't change us. But a law written on your heart is an internal preference. You know what it means? That the law is no longer outside of us. The law is now written on your heart, which means that your heart has a preference. You naturally prefer right over wrong. Deep inside you, you have an orientation. You snap towards the right thing. I like it. Like, why do you like cha kway tiao? It's because you just like it. Like, what? how do you explain? Or like your favorite color. These are some of those things that it's like, how do you even explain why something is your, a color is your favorite color? You just do. You just like it. Where does it come from? Does it come from being taught that it's a nice color? I don't remember someone like my parents over there, oh, Fergus, green is a nice color. You should like green. Red is not so nice. You know, like nobody ever did that. You saw colors as a little child and you just were drawn to one. You were just drawn to one. Why? Because some of these things are in, it's in your heart. And that's what a law written in your heart means. You just have a natural inclination. You have a natural preference. It's deep inside you. And your life choices from outside, you start wearing like a black t-shirt, you know, every Sunday. That's, that's like an overflow of your internal compass. Your internal compass says that, says something and your lifestyle reflects that something. That's how it works. 
And now, it's no longer externally motivated. Now, I've heard people say, Pastor, you know, um, if I do so much good, and then God don't reward me because it's true, ma, right? Sometimes you do good and then people ask, why do good th- bad things happen to good people, right? This person go prayer altar, prayer altar, and then they love the Lord, they look after their family, kena COVID, and then in the hospital, and then two weeks later die. You're like, God, why do bad things happen to good people? And then here's the kicker. The question will come, if I do so much good and God still don't reward me, by the way, He does reward you. When you die, He takes you to everlasting pleasures forevermore. Forevermore. And then He says elsewhere in the Bible that not a single one of you who puts His hand to the plow and gives up stuff in your life will will not feel like you have have yielded um, hundredfold maybe, right? I don't remember the exact wording, but it says that not a single one of you who gives away to the kingdom, you know, will feel at the end of the day that it was a raw deal. In other words, he does reward you. But sometimes the kicker is this. We look at how good people experience bad things and we say, if I do so much good and then God don't reward me or protect me, what's the use of doing good? You know what? Frankly, if we're asking that question, doing good is still a law written on a stone tablet outside of our hearts. Now, I don't say this to offend anyone. I'm saying this to point out that every one of us, myself included, maybe myself especially, because as a pastor, I, I, my vocation, you know, kind of like augments me to necessarily do a lot of good things, you know. And But if I, hey, if I'm not careful, you know, I, I can get angry like, God, I serve you in the, in the kingdom. How come my family, you know, how come my house, how come my car, how come my this, you know, and get angry. Hey, Fergus, watch that. Is the law written on a stone tablet outside of you? so that you're still waiting to get that reward, you know? Or are you inclined in your heart that you did all of it because you knew it was the right thing? You love doing it. Do we do it because we love doing it? Or do we do it because we think that there is a formula and if I do all these things, I'm going to get all these things back. And then when this formula fails you, you freak out and you, you leave the church and you leave Jesus. There is no formula. There is an internal compass and that's it. The internal compass tells you, I love doing good. I enjoy obeying Jesus. I want to show you a few texts to show you that when he gives you a new heart, this new heart enjoys obeying God. Let's look at the next few verses. Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now, maybe some of you are not convinced, right? By the way, Ezekiel 11 is a parallel of 36, okay? It says here, I will give them one heart, a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh. Same wording, right? And give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes. So, it's always a relationship. When he gives you a new heart, you will walk in his statutes. Before he gives you a new heart, maybe you force yourself to out of fear of punishment. But if not, if you can truly, truly don't, you don't. But now when he gives you a new heart, you will. But not convinced, you say, oh, it sounds like he's sighing him that I will cause you to walk. I will make you lie down in green pastures. I make you, you know, you say like, no, no, no. Let me show you more, right? Let me show you two more. Deuteronomy, just go back one. Yeah, Deuteronomy uh, 30. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God. You see that? When God deals with your heart, you, your new heart will enjoy Him. 
And, and, and Romans 8 is the reverse, right? The mindset on the sinful nature, that is the sarks, okay, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. When you still have a heart of stone, you tentang him, right? But when you have the heart of God, the flesh heart, then this heart that he gives you will be inclined to love and obey him. Now, church, do you want to be inclined naturally to love him? Yes, all of us do. So church, how? How do we get there? It is a process. But I want to share with you and unmask one myth in church. Okay? It's a myth. I want to blow it today. Okay? There is this myth that people say, oh, this law, this law giving God make you paksayu to ikot law is a God of Old Testament. That the God of Old Testament is an angry, wrathful God who is always about making you keep the law. Look at the next slide. Right? But the God of New Testament is loving and gracious and merciful, you know, and, and, he, and he wants to show you grace, you know. And you know what, church? I don't know if you've ever been taught that before. I listen to a lot of sermons, so I've definitely heard it in my life before as well, right? I want to blow this myth because you know what? It's not a helpful way to think of God. We are taught sometimes, or we learn, or we've read somewhere before, that the God of Old Testament is an angry God, wrathful God, and a God of the covenant of the law. And he want to paksa you to ikot the law. And then we say that, oh, but God is different now. In the New Testament, he is loving and he is gracious, you know. And so you, in the New Testament, there, there you see, you know, uh, um, Jesus is so loving clearly. Clearly, if this is your way of thinking, then you've never, then you weren't in the room when Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts got struck down dead on the spot for lying about their contributions to, 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 to the church. Hey, hello, there's a New Testament uh, uh, account, you know, and clearly you have not really read the Gospels whenever Jesus was so fierce. Like one of the fiercest parts of the whole Bible is Jesus scolding the Pharisees, saying, you whitewashed tomb, you, you guys, you know, wash the outside, you don't clean the inside, you know, uh, um, you brood of vipers. Wow, that's like some of the most stinging words in the whole Bible. I challenge you to find a more stinging way to call someone than you brood of vipers, right? And that's New Testament. So let's not have this thinking, Old Testament, God angry, angry. New Testament, God loving, loving. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And if you have that thinking clearly, you have not looked at the Old Testament where he is so patient with Israel. He gives them prophet of the prophet and he's wooing them and wooing them and he's saying come don't there is damnation up ahead don't don't keep going stop turn around you turn come back to me and he's patient and patient and patient and then all the credit we give to him for all his patience is god of wrath old testament always angry right hey, come on church we have to be better than that so if you see what we're going to see click the next the next click, right? God is loving and holy. Both Testaments, yes. Across human history, yes. He's capable of fierce judgment and lavish mercy. Across both Testaments, yes. Same God. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He didn't suddenly wake up and become a more chill God. 
He didn't suddenly wake up and be thought like, okay, la, I think I've been a little, like, I'm that kind of father, right? Some days I go bonkers on my kids and I'll be like, Ayo, I think I need to go easy on them a bit, la. you know, cabin fever, everybody's like this, Fergus, be a, be a more merciful father. It's like, God's not like that. He's, when he's, when he's in fierce judgment, he's also lavishly merciful at the same time. And you see it on the cross, okay? So, so let's, let's break that thinking. And Sungai Blow Church, I don't want any of y'all telling your church friends or, or your non-Christian friends that, oh, why uh, is Old Testament like that? Then you say, oh, he was angry then, but he's no longer angry now. <laughs> not Sungai Bulo Church, not our Christians, okay? We don't talk like that, okay? Okay, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, okay? All right. Now, but just to show you that even during the Old Testament, he was interested in our hearts. He's not interested in the law keeping he from deuteronomy 30 from deuteronomy 10 from leviticus 26 my goodness this is as early as it gets and if you give me more time i can find more right he you can see he's already interested not in our external law keeping he was always interested in our hearts old testament god so don't say he's just a God of covenant of law, 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 you know. From the Old Testament, he was already more interested that our hearts are circumcised, not our foreskins, right? But the foreskin of your heart is circumcised and no longer stubborn. You see that? Deuteronomy 10. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. And Deuteronomy 30. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that they will love him. Amen. Amen. Our God is a good God. He's never changed. He has never changed. He's the same God. And He will never change in the future. He will be the same God. Loving, yet capable of judgment. Yes, we hold all these things together. You know, and this same God wants to give you a new heart. This heart is from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. This heart is going to be changed from within. And here's the best part. It's a journey. There's no expectation for you to turn a new leaf overnight. And this is the third point and the final point. And we were close not long from now. This change happens over time. And how does He change us? He gives us the Holy Spirit. He puts a new spirit into us. Renew a right spirit in me. The Holy Spirit comes in and brings a renewal inside our hearts. Let's look at the Ezekiel 36 text and then we'll bounce into Romans 8. Okay, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will put my spirit within you. Church, we are saved people. We confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit has come to reside in us and He has begun a work. He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. And I want to show you from Romans 8 how this works. You, however, are not in the sinful nature, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. So my beloved church, is the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Yes, right? then you are no longer in the sinful nature. You belong to Him. His new spirit is in you, right? If Christ is in you, although your body is dead, meaning your body has like, is broken, you may be sick, you may have all this, whatever it is, but although your body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life. So there is a force inside of us that is the Holy Spirit that gives life. And life means renewal and your sick heart is going to be renewed every day because of the righteousness of Jesus. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, same spirit, Resurrection power comes from Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is in you. So you carry rest power inside you every single day. You carry resurrection power in you to bring a resurrection of that stone heart 
to become a heart of flesh that will yield and obey to Jesus. He will also give life to your mortal bodies, this heart of flesh, right? Through the spirit that dwells inside of you. Let's go to the next slide and I'm going to show you how beautiful this is, right? And we know for those who love God, all things work. I circled work. There is a working. It means it's not overnight. It didn't happen at a, at, at a snap. There is a working. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. There is a process of conforming our hearts. You can look at 12 verse 1 as well from Romans, right? That we are being conformed to Christ transformed and conformed daily into the image of the Son. And just look at the bottom, those whom He predestined, He called, those whom He called, He justified, those He justified, He glorified. This chain, this chain of transformation from what He did to you when He saved you to the point where He fully sanctifies you and you are glorified is a process. You are being led from one degree of glory to another. And with this, I want to share with you this story. A story of a little boy who had a he had a wooden heart, right? He had that Elvis Presley wooden heart. It's a very old story. It's an old Disney cartoon that I watched when I was a kid. The story of Pinocchio. How many of you know about the story of Pinocchio? Right? I'm gonna close now. Very soon. Uh, I just want to share with you the story of Pinocchio. By the way, I just found out that there's a 2021 kind of like CGI version. And I'm like, no, don't ruin the original, please, you know, please. Uh, um, but never mind. Pinocchio is the story of a wood toy maker called Geppetto. And Geppetto one day fashions this wooden doll in the shape of a boy because he longs to have a son. And he longs to have a son. And then one day he makes a wish. Now, he makes a wish, but for us, we can think of it as he makes a prayer. He asks God, can this son become... But his fairy godmother, right? Shows up and then, ding, you know? And then, and then Pinocchio becomes an animated wooden doll, right? He becomes an animated wooden He's not a real boy yet, right? And he can move around, he can talk, you know? And Geppetto's like, I have a son, I have a son, right? And, but the thing is, he's not a real boy. For Pinocchio to become a real boy, he must show three attributes. He must have courage, he must be truthful, and he must sacrifice himself. There must be courage, there must be truth, and there must be self-sacrifice. Now, ask you Christians, who showed greatest courage? Who embodied the truth? And who showed the greatest self-sacrifice? If it's not for Jesus. And Pinocchio's call is that he will remain an animated wooden doll and never become a full human boy unless he displays these three things. And along the way, Pinocchio has a heart of stone, right? Or in this case, a wooden heart. And he goes about and he lies and his nose grows longer, right? And he just can't, he can't obey his father Geppetto. And his heart gets gets his heart is a straying heart and after a while people come and draw they lure him away from the safety of his family and then he gets entangled from one bad thing to another and he gets himself into deeper and deeper trouble but the day will come eventually when pinocchio will be will, will have to face the one challenge right to save his father geppetto who's been swallowed up by a whale and pinocchio goes into the belly of the whale and it is very symbolic 
Yeah, I don't want to make more of, out of Pinocchio than you need to, but for the sake of your faith, I want to show you this. Pinocchio goes into the belly of the whale, and this is his greatest act of courage, truth-telling, and self-sacrifice. He goes into the belly of the whale, and we know belly of the whale through Jonah. Three nights, we see Jesus on the cross. And this wooden puppet goes into a deep, dark place of death. And along the way, exhibit courage. Along the way, exhibit truth-telling and self-sacrifice. And out of that great act of selfless love for his father, fairy godmother comes, touches him. He becomes a full boy. And then he has a heart of flesh. Church, every single one of us is like Pinocchio. Pinocchio's story is an archetype. It tells a story about every single one of us. It tells a story of how we have hearts of stone that are unyielding. It tells the story of how this heart of stone will always just be animated human beings until the day we enter death in Christ. And in the death in Christ that, that Jesus himself led ahead of us, he was the ultimate act of courage, truth-telling, and self-sacrifice. And when you enter death in Christ, there is no, now no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you come out of death in Christ, he touches you and gives you a heart of stone. You become the full expression of the human of the man and the woman God created you to be. And now you can have real, genuine, loving relationship with your Geppetto Father. Amen. Amen. But for that, the transformation must happen. And for that, the Spirit of God must fall. Jesus, oh, pour upon us, Lord God, a fresh new spirit, Lord God, and exchange our hearts of stone for flesh journeying as a church together there is no better no better thing to ask for for our one year's birthday Lord Jesus give us a new heart give us a new spirit Lord Jesus thank you for one year of journeying together with you as a church as a new church and Father we ask Lord renew our re give us a new heart renew a right spirit within us a fragile spirit yes Vulnerable heart, yes. Can be broken, yes. Much better than a heart of stone. So Father, we thank you. You strengthen us every day and in Christ, in Christ we have the best gift of all. So Father, may you bless us. Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen.